Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 313 of How Do You Write? I am so pleased that you are here with me today as I talk to the lovely, charming, and delightful Erin De La Rosa. I had such a good time talking to her. Also, I took away one of the best note card taken hacks ever for my career. So please stay tuned for that. Before we get into the interview, what has been going on around here? Something big, y'all, something big. Okay, small, but it's big. It feels big. I got my revision letter back for Seven Miracles. And as you know, my last revision experience with the latest memoir, um, freaked me out a little bit. It was, you know, I got good stuff out of it, but it was, it was hard. And that didn't happen with this book. And I have worked with this editor for a long time, um, off and on. I have known her for forever. She was in traditional, she was an editor in traditional publishing. And then she went to freelancing about 10 years ago. And I have used her for various projects over the years. And she's also a knitter. So I know her through that capacity. And I have always learned the most from her. I've learned more from her than I did in my graduate program than I have from any other editor, because she's one of those editors who, when she tells you something, she also tells you the deep why, not just a why, but the deep why behind it. So I was really happy I was able to book her for this book and send it to her and I got it back. And y'all, I'm just going to read you what she said at the beginning of the letter. There's um, number one, there's not much to fix. I mean, there's stuff to fix, obviously. There's always stuff to fix in a book, but it's really doable. I'm used to ripping something into pieces and starting all over again. This one's really doable. And this is these are her first lines. She says, this is the best thing I've ever read from you. Like hands down the best. You were always very good. This book might be great. And she's read my traditionally published stuff. She's read the stuff that she's worked with me on. And this coming from her, it made me cry. It made me so happy, so excited, and just so pleased that I followed my heart and I wrote this book. And I used this new process that I've been talking a little bit about um, that guided me all the way through in a way that I have never felt guided by my own process before. And I'm just so excited. And I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit irritated because I got a bunch of things that I have to do have to write for the next um, probably two weeks to get off my desk before I can get into those revisions. And I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Um, very, very much my happy spot is this kind of revision where the editor says, here are the things to work on. And your brain goes, ooh, ooh, yes, those are a problem. And I kind of know what to do right before you ship it off to copy edits. I always say a lot of the places in writing are my favorite place, but this might be my favorite place. One of my very, very favorite places. Can't wait to get into it. And I'm so, I'm so happy and so grateful. So yay, that was a big, big moment this week. Um, also this week, oh, on the same day, in fact, we hit our year anniversary of living in New Zealand, of, of living here permanently, of this being our home. And that felt really good, especially the fact that we forgot about it totally, even though Ed, my assistant, has been reminding me that it was coming up. Totally forgot. And in fact, I'm writing my Patreon essay this week that is part of the essay collection that I'm writing about this global move 
and it is about how we celebrated our one year anniversary in New Zealand by forgetting it and what our day looked like. So um, that's what I'm working on. If you are not a member of the Patreon, you always can be patreon.com slash Rachel. It means the world to me for you to subscribe. And then you get all of the essays and, and it helps me sit in this chair. It helps me be here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to past, present and future patrons. Um, so I'm doing that. That um, Also, I got this fantastic email from a listener. And with permission, I'm going to share a little bit about it from Shana. Uh, she says, I was delivering two sibling kittens from a friend that fosters in Tennessee to some friends having recently lost two senior cats in Vermont. I'd planned on listening to some of my audiobook backlog, but ended up starting your podcast again. I say again, because I had originally found your podcast newsletter, website, et cetera, back in 2020, but for a multitude of life reasons, wasn't in the right brain space for it really to sink in. I'm sh- pretty sure I would have been one of the email addresses purged from your systems from a lack of engagement. Haha. <laughs> Side note. I never get around to doing that. So you'd probably still be there, but uh, back to the letter. But a few weeks ago, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about process and how hard the first attempts can be because we don't yet have the process. And it was a light bulb moment for me. I've been obsessed with buying books, subscribing to everything under the sun, buying courses, all to have a process given to me. When the reality is I won't know my process until I actually do the thing to find my writing process I have to actually write. Starting your podcast, binging episodes from the beginning, and hearing again and again all of this reiterated as I drove 24 plus hours, multiple weekends, broke the floodgates for me. I sat down and started to write again while in Vermont, and I am aching to get back to my crap first draft again. Um, And then I'm going to skip down to her response, and it says, um, oh yes, uh, such a surreal thought to have. The realization you have to do the thing you most want to do in the world and yet feel the least qualified to do it. Ooh, mm-hmm. But hearing your closing statement over and over again, now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Binging episode. So I hear it repeated over and over. It's been so, so it's been solidifying. As I sit here typing, I think about how I've lived longer than my mom did. She passed away when she was only 28 and I was four. I've asked her sisters what they think my mom would have wanted to do with her life if she'd lived. And they both said, be an artist. She loved art in all forms and mediums, but especially cartoons, I'm told. She never had a chance to pursue her dreams, but I still can. And I will. Oh, let's just bask in that, shall we? I think this is such a pivotal moment that artists and writers get to when when it finally becomes real that, oh no, I'm the one, I'm the one who has to do the work. I clearly remember the seat I was sitting in at a conference when I had that realization for the first time. Of course, I thought the thoughts probably a million times, but when it becomes a body-soul realization, it's life-changing. That's the day I really count that um, my writing career began even though I'd already finished a book and I was actively querying it at that point, that was the moment my writing life really began. And I really took it seriously instead of just a lark. I was the one taking it seriously. Shana, thank you for allowing me to share that. Thank you for sending that to me. It means the world when you all do write me and tell me how you are doing. Um, Thank you. Keep me posted, please. I want to know how you go. And it does just lead me to one more thought. And it is this, 
that as we are moving forward with whatever we are working on, we can get stuck feeling like whatever we're doing is not good enough. We're in the muck. We can't figure it out. It's We can't move forward because we can't figure it out yet. However, sometimes we must move forward. And here's why. Because the new ideas that will fix the muck that you're in right now are around the corner. And guess what? You cannot ever have a new idea until you move out of the muck and around the corner to the place you can't see yet. You can only get there by doing the work, by figuring out what your perfect process is. There is no perfect process. And that is why I do this podcast because I want there to be one and I want somebody to give it to me. There is no perfect process. The new ideas about what is our perfect process and the new ideas about how We want to write this particular book or essay or poem, the idea about how we want to revise it, the idea about what happens in the second scene of act three, that idea only comes by leaving the muck behind and moving forward with the work, going around that corner and saying, oh, there you are. And in most cases, the vast majority of cases, not going back to fix what we have left behind because we could do that in the next draft. And you'll confuse yourself and bog yourself down if you go back to fix it now. But make yourself a little note about that fantastic idea you had right forward as if you've already fixed it and we keep moving forward. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Shana, you made me think of that. And I'm so, so pleased. Thank you for letting me share that. Thank you for letting me share my exciting news about my revision, which I can't wait to get back into. And now I want to tell you all about Erin LaRosa. Erin LaRosa has written many highly engaging tweets as a social media manager, but on her way to writing romance, she's also published two humorous nonfiction books, Woman's Skills and The Big Redhead Book. Her most recent novel is For Butter or Worse. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and three daughters, one human, two felines. Find her on Twitter and Instagram, and please enjoy this fantastic interview, and please get some of your own writing done. I really, really believe in you. Thanks, everybody. Hey, would you like to come write with me, with my writing community? At Rachel Says Write, we write together twice a week, every Monday and Wednesday from 5 to 7 Pacific Time, 8 to 10 Eastern Time. We say hi and chat the tiniest little bit, and then together we write. It's truly magical the amount of words we get done together. You want to check it out with a week's free trial to see how it might work for you? Just go to rachelheron.com, Rachel Says Write, to join us. Well, I am so pleased to welcome you to the show. Hello, hello. Will you give us your name and your pronouns, please? I'd love to. My name is Erin LaRosa, and I go by she, her. I am so pleased to have you on the show, and I'm so excited to dig into what we are talking about because you are not only the author of this new fabulous book with the best title in the whole world, which is For Better or Worse. (laughs) Like it is so Thank fantastic, you. but you also write a whole bunch of other stuff and you write nonfiction. Um, you've written a couple of nonfiction books and mm-hmm. so you're obviously doing it all and fitting it all in. And you know that I love process. So let's dig in. How do you, yeah. how do you write Aaron? Well, I think it's changed a lot over the last few years. You know, when I was in my twenties is when I wrote uh, most of my nonfiction books. And I definitely wrote a couple of fiction books that just never saw the light of day and may never see the light of day. Um, But during that time, I actually got into this habit of doing most of my writing really early in the morning. Like I would start by waking up at 5 a.m. and I would devote like two hours of my day to writing. 
because I was also balancing a day job and um, I swore by that routine and I thought that would be my routine for the rest of my life. And then I had a baby in 2020 at the start of a pandemic. Oh, you had and a pandemic so baby. Oh I, so my, my daughter was born March 10th of 2020. And oh. she was, I mean, that week was the week that LA shut down, which is where I live. I live in Los yes. Angeles. So <laughs> my life and a lot of people's lives, obviously just changed completely overnight. Um, and with that, I had to really kind of develop a new writing routine that also incorporated having a baby. And so, you know, gone were the the morning hours of writing where I just had like two uninterrupted hours. And so I really had to work through like, you know, what does it mean to be an author and a new mom? And um, how do you balance creativity with family life and also a day job, which I still had at the time. So I had a really hard time, honestly, for like the first I would say year of her life where I was like, I don't know if I can be a writer. I don't know. Am I still a writer if I don't have this routine every day? Because it just, when you develop that writing routine that works for you, it, you know, becomes part of your identity. I think probably a lot of writers uh, identify with that. So now how do I write? <laughs> yes. I would um, love to know now. Something. Yeah. So something, um, that I think is really important for me is that I learned actually in a management class because I was a people manager in my day job. And I took a course where they told us, you know, figure out what part of the day is the most productive part of the day for you, meaning like you're most alert, you have the most energy. And they said, that's the part of the day where you should really use and work on projects that require your brain power the most. So that's kind of how I structure my day now. I know that I'm not a night person. Like by the time night rolls around, I'm just like my brain has turned into a nice bowl of like melted ice cream. It cannot <laughs> be used anymore. So what I do is I kind of organize my day by brain power. So for example, once I get my daughter off to daycare, like for the next three or four hours, I know those are really productive for me. And that's when I do the bulk of my writing is during the daytime hours. And then after that, basically like around 2 p.m., then I can do social media posts or I can respond to emails or things that just require less brain power. So for me, a lot of it is relying on like listening to my body and figuring out like, yeah, when am I most alert? <laughs> when can I devote hours of the day to this? Um, and that has been really helpful to kind of readjust to that. And then, um, you know, I also used to be a person who would say like, you have to write every single day, like writing is memory muscle. And now I'm a lot kinder to my, to myself where I'm like, I'm not going to write every single day because things will pop up. Like maybe my daughter has a cold and like, I need to help her through that during the day. And I just need to be kind to myself. So I think a lot of us during the pandemic have had our priorities shift a lot, like from work yeah. to being more focused on on your personal life and growth that way too. So yeah, my process has changed quite a lot in the last two years. But it also sounds like you have harnessed this new process for you and you did some, you know, diligent thinking about how it would work for you. I also like what you said 
about, you know, writing. Yes, it is muscle memory, but something I learned when I was a runner, which I am not anymore, but I ran a couple of marathons and I learned then that like, yes, you train and you train and you run and you run a lot and you develop these really big muscles in your quads. And, and the thing is, if you stop running for a while, sometimes I would stop running after that for you, like six months or a year, the muscle memory was still there when I ran. The yes. muscle was really, really quickly adjust because they had learned once. So something you're saying in there is yes. ringing a bell of like, you already knew how to write and how to get writing done. You had to find a new place for it in your yes. life. Yes, that's exactly right. And um, it's funny you say that because I also used to be a big runner. And similarly, if I will occasionally go for a run now, I am always surprised that yes. I'm still able to run Mm-hmm. And it's not as um, scary as I thought it would be. And it was the same thing where, you know, probably for the first three months of my daughter's life, I really did not get a lot of writing done. You know, it would just be tiny little bits and I would feel so bad about it. I'm impressed it. that um, you even tried, honestly. I did brief. try. I like, did try. I'm it's one of those things where you go back to the draft that you were working on. You're like, oh, I, I tried and it it didn't go well, but <laughs> there's evidence of it in this draft. Um, and so, you know, I, but I was that kind of person where I had a really rigid way of thinking. And so I think that's why I kind of kept pushing myself. And now I have a totally new mindset where I'm like you, where it's sort of like, I understand that it's okay to have a day off. It's okay to take time away from it. And actually that can help your creative process and give you a little bit of, clarity around plot holes or characters, you come back with fresh eyes. So it's been really nice. It sounds like having this baby has probably done, you know, 100 million things for you in different ways, but also it's kind of given you a beginner mind lens on all of this too. Totally. And I've had a lot of friends tell me that um, (laughs) they're very proud of me because I have much more of like a work-life balance now where I didn't really before because I was so fixated on work um, and doing that all the time. I have a lot of very strong Capricorn energy for my fellow Capricorns out there. Uh, We are really hard workers. So um, if you are a fellow Capricorn, just know it's okay to take breaks. I love that so much. That's so good. I need to find out where all those things are in my star chart stuff. That's Um, right. What what is your biggest (laughs) challenge when it comes to writing? I think my biggest challenge would be, um, and also the the best part of my writing is rewriting. So I'm actually, I have pages right next to my laptop right now. I'm rewriting my uh, second book in this series. Mm, And um, yeah, it's great. And I, the thing about it is I know that rewriting is where my best writing comes, but I really like moving on from projects. And as you know, with books, you're, you live with a book for at least two years from like start to the finish of launching it. And so um, I loved diving into this new book because I had lived with for better or worse for so long. And I was like, great, I get to get new characters and explore their lives. I got a draft out. Now I'm dealing with the notes on that draft. And I'm like, my brain is already like, but don't we want to talk about the book after this now? Like, don't we want to move on to the next set of characters? (laughs) And so, you know, just that long publishing process of like, okay, we're going to be doing three rounds of notes on this and living with it for another year while we wait for it to come out and then do marketing around it. I think that is something that my brain as someone who just wants to jump to the next thing and keep creating new worlds has a hard time with. 
I am a, I am a jumper to the new thing always, always. So does that feed into then the answer of what your biggest joy is in writing? (laughs) Yeah, I think it does actually. I, I love coming up with ideas. Like I have documents and documents of new ideas. Of course, we'll never have enough time to ever write them like a lot of authors, but I love the idea stage and just brainstorming characters or compelling situations or plots that that I can throw people into. So yeah, that is my most joyous part for sure. I love that. I I love that feeling where I, I just had this happen and I can't remember what it was about. Something about a crumbling mortuary, but when you find something mm. online that you want to stick into the Evernote file or wherever it is that you keep it. And you're like, I cannot think about this now, but I'm going to put it over there and it'll be safe. And I can think about it later. I'll write so down good. ideas and you'll be like, of course I'll come back to this. Yeah. And then you discover them years later and you're like, oh, I, <laughs> I never came back to that idea because I wrote down 10 more. And yeah. And either it was like genius or you're like, what did I even mean? What did, what was I saying? Oh yeah. I love finding those notes. Like I have a lot of notebooks by my bed where I like, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night with like a fever dream that I've had and I'll write something under a sentence of garbage that's like peanut butter on pickles. <laughs> and I'll be like, I don't know what I meant by that. But it was really, really uh, important at the time. It was yeah, so Yeah, it sounded important. really good. Yeah. <laughs> Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? And I I will actually show you because I have it right here. So I am a big fan of note cards. I love keeping note cards around to remind me of character things. And so something I do, um, because I'm a romance writer, I'll, I'll have two lead characters who are falling in love. And so what I do is I actually write down different note cards with what their, um, key motivations are, how they change because of each other what's holding them back. I'll kind of write down these um, emotional points that they they have to hit. And I keep those on the note cards as I write each chapter because I do dual point of view, right? So for example, on, on For Butter or Worse, I have Nina and Leo. So I would have a note card with where Nina is at the beginning of the book, where I need her to go to the end of the book and how Leo helps her get there. So that anytime I'm writing in her chapter, I make sure to include some kind of touch point that shows that emotional arc that she's going to um, and kind of reminds me as a writer, like, oh, okay, Nina is starting to open up to Leo here. So I need to show dialogue or um, physicalities that show that she's becoming more attracted to him or whatever, but it helps me keep track as I'm writing of like that emotional arc and how they help each other change. And I think that's really important, especially when you're writing romance. That's so important. And it's so clever. And it's not just for romance because I have this, I have this theory that, you know, cause I started in romance, which I think is the finest and best and the hardest genre to write of all of them. Um, but all stories are in some way a romance, right? If we have a buddy story of two guys on the, you know, going fishing for the weekend and getting lost in the mountains, that is a romance between them and what they learn from each other and how they affect each other. And I think you're you're kind of pinging something in my own brain as I'm finishing up these revisions as my character has changed because, you know, a lot of stuff has happened, but I don't know if I've concentrated enough on how this one person has affected her. And to have those cards always next to you, reminding you that they're affecting each other super, super rich. 
really, really helps. And I actually got this idea because I went to a, a book reading for another romance author named Bridget Morrissey, and she was in conversation uh, where they were talking about the importance of the characters affecting change within each other. And yeah. I just had this like moment of like, oh my God, of course. And it's I know I course. do that in my books, but I have to, I was like, I have to go back and relook at this and make sure that it's very clear in every chapter that, you know, they're inching closer and closer to where they need to be because of each other. So yeah, it's been really, really helpful. This is huge. Seriously, this is like a craft tip that will actually change my life today. I'm as so I finish glad. This and I may, I'm so I'm, I've never been a note card person, but I may change into yeah. being a note card person just for those two note cards to have them. Yeah. Next to me. And you know what I do too, which is really probably not necessary, but they're different colors, right? So, yeah. like, so you can this see it one is for one character, the other is for the next. So, I can make sure that they're very different. And I yeah. just like that visual differentiation also helps my brain. I definitely have all of the character stuff written out in a place always, but I don't, I don't have it close by and it's not easy to turn to. And, you know, that's so cool. A lot. Um, and I know that you're kind of a person who wants to be an outline person. So I outline a lot in um, Google Docs and I have all of their characteristics there. But it is funny how, like, I don't really reference that doc all that much once right. I get to writing. It's like I put it there, then it's in the back of my mind. But yeah, the note cards just help me keep track of them the whole time. All right. Well, you've just given me a really new powerful tool. And I'm looking over here because I know where the note cards I don't use are. And I'm just going to go pull them. <laughs> so glad. So thank you, Erin. That is there incredible. I really, really <laughs> love welcome. that. I'm so glad. Um, may I ask you what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? You know, I think um, something that affects my writing in a surprising way, which is a great question, um, has been... And can this also be like in a negative way? Can yeah, absolutely. I like that. Totally. Okay. So I think as a uh, debut novelist this year, um, I've really become hyper aware of like all of the social stuff that you have to do to promote your book, right? You have to be on book talk and Instagram and Goodreads and all of these places. And um, I found that I was getting so deeply distracted by my phone that it was like actually causing issues with my writing where I was like mm -hmm. losing not just time but like that emotional strain of you know if someone gives you a lukewarm review of your book it can yeah. affect your whole day and so um, something I've actually done now <laughs> is that I will keep my phone in a totally separate room and I'm not allowed to touch it uh, until certain parts of the day and I also turn my Wi-Fi off on my computer. But I was, you know, I used to work in social. That was my day job. I worked for places like BuzzFeed and Netflix right. and Amazon Prime Video as their social person. And so I, I exist <laughs> online. It was my whole life. But to be the person who people are talking about or analyzing my writing in good and bad ways, mm -hmm. um, is a totally new experience. And so I've had to really actually like remove myself from being able to like be present with social basically. So like I have, I was really surprised by that just as someone who 
has always been on social. I, I was a kid who had a Tumblr account, you know what I mean? I would, I was like always online and now I'm kind of like, oh, this is like actually affecting my writing. And I, yeah. I've heard writers talk about Goodreads affecting them and things like that, but I did not understand it really until it was happening in real time to me. So yeah, I would just say like, you know, if possible, because everyone is tied to their phones and Wi-Fi and has access to the internet, really try to use programs uh, and tools that help you get away from that. Like I have something called the Freedom app, which mm, just like blocks great. Wi-Fi from you for hours, which has been great. So I, you have to I do have what dedicated you can. books to to Freedom actually. Like they've been in the acknowledgments. I mean but so now helpful. I I do I feel like you that um I have felt more of a need to to even gain the distance. I read a study and I can't remember the statistic on it, but you are X percent and it's and it's quite a high number more distracted when your cell phone is in your peripheral vision. Like right now, my I can peripherally see my cell phone. And if I just put it, put it there yep. where I can't see it anymore, the noise goes down. And I have had a lot of success recently with moving the phone into another room. Um, I've actually yeah. been sleeping it with it in another room. It's in another room and it's, it's, I do the same thing and it's loud enough that if somebody needed me, I will, will eventually hear the phone ringing, but yeah. isn't it amazing how much quieter your brain is if you cannot look at your phone in, in bed? Yes. And I think also it forces me to read books while yeah, I'm in too. bed versus mm -hmm. just kind of an endless scroll. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've also stopped, this is like personal stuff too, but even like, you know, my daughter will notice if I look at my phone or kind mm -hmm. of touch it. And so I, even when I'm with her, I will keep the phone in a different room so that I can just be present with her um, and not have her thinking that, you know, I care more about the phone than She's her or something with like the that. Phone. Yeah. Right. So I feel like the last couple of months has been for me just like, trying to get rid of my reliance on my phone in a really big way. Um, and that has been super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm also addicted to TikTok. So after I work is usually when I'm I know. on the couch and I watch know. a lot of TikTok, but, I but uh, that's my only social life from TikTok. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like so joyful there. I usually get served content around like dogs and yeah, me too. cats and it's great. Dogs, cats, and books. That's what I, that's what I Yes. Get. So yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of books, what is the best book that you read recently and why did you love it? You know, I um, read a book that I really loved called Remarkably Bright Creatures and mm. it is fiction and it is told from the point of view um, of a woman who works at an aquarium and an octopus. Oh. <laughs> so it is very interesting. Um the octopus is very wise, uh, keeps escaping from his tank. And this older woman um, who is like grieving the loss of her son sort of like ends up helping the octopus in a lot of ways. And the octopus helps her. But it is actually like a really great, I think, summer read if you need something uplifting. Because, mm. you know, I'm used to romance books where I have that guaranteed happily ever after. And so yeah. going into this book, I was, I was sort of like, I know this is not a romance book, but I hope it has a happily ever after ending. And it does in a lot oh, of ways good. because it just ends well for everyone in the book and you feel so uplifted. Um, oh, that sounds and it was, lovely. 
it was it was great. And um, I actually listened to the audiobook of it and it was done really well. Like Michael Yuri, who is an actor who I really love, voices the octopus and he does a really great job. So I would highly recommend it. Thank you. That sounds awesome. And it sounds like yeah. something super fun for both me and my partner who is obsessed with octopuses. I well, know there you very, go. I know very clearly that the plural of octopuses is either octopodes or octopuses, which is acceptable, but not octopi. So <laughs> not octopi. Yeah, not <laughs> actually. That's actually incorrect. So yes, thank you for that. That's lovely. Speaking yeah. of books, will you please tell us a little bit about for butter or worse? I will. I'm so glad you love the title. It's so good. <laughs> um, it is very fun. There is there's a lot of pun punnage in the book. Um, so for better or worse, you know, I pitched it as um, if Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood from the Great British Bake Off had to fake date in order to save their careers. So um, it's about two celebrity uh, cooking show hosts who have a massive live on air blowout where Nina, my lead, quits the show. Uh, and it turns out uh, after quitting the show, she and Leo, my my hero in the book, um, are caught in a compromising position where it looks like they've kissed. So after that, suddenly the public is interested in them again, like really wants to see them together. And so these these two celebrity hosts, Nina is a rest, uh, chef and Leo is a restaurateur, um, discover that if they want to save their careers, they really do have to fake date in order to do that. And so part of what drew me to this book was that I love cooking shows. I'm just obsessed with them. I also love cooking and food in general. But um, I noticed that a lot of the women we see on TV are very nurturing and caring and um, I'm a person who's a little bit more like tough and candid and you see that a lot in male hosts yeah, of these cooking yeah. shows. Um, for example, Paul Hollywood, but also Gordon Ramsay, any Ramsay, of these yeah. kind of male mm -hmm. chefs. Um, and I wanted to kind of flip the gender roles. And so Nina in my book is basically a Gordon Ramsay type of chef, but as That's a woman. That's so cool. And it's very fun. And um, Leo is is more of the nurturer in the on the show and in real life. And I wanted to also show how women are treated when they act like like mm -hmm. more of the uh, boss kind of mm -hmm. energy versus this nurturing type. And so I use a lot of social media things in the book, actually, like you see headlines that are written about her, you see tweets about her. So you kind of see in real time how people react to her. But it was important to me because when I was re researching restaurants and watching uh, shows like um, Chef's Table, where they have maybe only a handful of women on them, uh, I kept seeing that like there was a stat that only 7% of kitchens in America are run by women. And wow. I found a lot of stories about like sexism online where female chefs had said that they quit the industry entirely because they just couldn't, you know, didn't want to engage in this like super male dominated industry. So we have the lightness and comedic humor of a rom-com, but I also wanted to tackle these bigger issues of sexism and uh, gender stereotypes and roles that we see on TV and how we treat women who act outside of those roles. So it was a book and that means it's hard to write. And of course you went through hell to do it. 
that just happens. <laughs> but I, the reason I say that is it also sounds like this would have been a really fun book to write. Was it fun? It was fun. Yeah, <laughs> I I um <laughs> had a lot of joy writing this book because also oh. it's enemies to lovers. And yeah. so I love writing that kind of back and forth banter where they're they're just like snarking back and forth at each other. You know, I'm a big fan of kind of Bridget Jones diary and, and like the Mark and Bridget of a relationship where you're seeing people butt heads and then they kind of grow on each other and have a totally different relationship. Um, but on top of that, I also did a lot of eating because I show a lot of the LA food scene. So I was able to, you know, it was during the pandemic mainly that I was writing this, but I went and got takeout from places yes. and I was trying a lot of things and food. So I really enjoyed myself. And I think that when you so read cool. the book, you'll, you'll be very hungry. So I snacks. cannot wait to read it. I cannot wait to read it. Um, also the, <laughs> the whole enemies to lovers trope. I saw somebody on TikTok, another one of those like obvious things, like you just said about the note cards, just that, that just blew my mind. Um, they said something <laughs> about enemies to lovers is so satisfying because no matter what they start off as equals when you are an enemy with someone like you can have foes who are out to get you or bullies yeah. and then the power dynamic is off but if it's your enemy you're on the same footing which makes it really satisfying to have that shift yeah so, that's true I had not it, thought about that that's really yeah. interesting it explains why I love the enemies delivers trope so mm -hmm. much because there's a lot of yeah. power balance Yes, yeah. I've never heard it described that way. And I people often ask me why why I liked writing that trope. And I, I think that gives a totally new perspective. It is yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad that I shared that then. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, where can listeners find you? So I am on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron LaRosa Lit L I T. And then on TikTok, of course, I am Aaron LaRosa Writes. And I do a lot of fun videos there about the Great British Baking Show and kind of talking about some of the um, un unseen facts about that show that might be interesting. So oh, you are, okay. If you're a baking show fan, go look for that content because it's pretty fun. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show, Erin. It has been just a delight to talk to you. Thank you, Rachel. I feel the same way. I love this podcast and please keep doing it because I need more tips just like you do. So <laughs> onward we go. Happy writing. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.